ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد تريدن وبيجن with the statement of al-Imam al-Tahawi rahimahullah ta'ala wa ahlul kaba'ir min ummati Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fin nari la yakhludun idha matu wa hum muwahidun wa in lam yakunu ta'ibin ba'da an laqu allaha arifin wa hum fi mashi'atihi wa hukmihi إن شاء غفر لهم وعفى عنهم بفضله كما ذكر عز وجل في كتابه ويغفر ما دون ذلك لمن يشاء وإن شاء عذبهم في النار بعدله ثم يخرجهم منها برحمته وشفاعة الشافعين من أهل طاعته ثم يبعثهم إلى جنته وذلك بأن الله تعالى مولى أهل معرفته ولم يجعلهم في الدارين كأهل نكرته الذين خابوا من الذين خابوا من هدايته ولم ينالوا من ولايته اللهم يا ولي الإسلام وأهله ثبتنا على الإسلام حتى نلقاك به هي سزينا that those who have committed major sins from the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they will not remain in the hellfire forever as long as they died upon tawheed. People, believers, Muslims who died upon tawheed, but they had committed some sins, major sins even, then they will not remain in the hellfire forever. Even if they didn't repent before dying. So a person of tawheed, he committed some major sins, never repented and died. Even if that person ends up in the hellfire for those major sins, he will not remain in there forever. A person of Tawheed, even if he committed sins and never even made Tawbah from them, and therefore ends up in the hellfire first, will not stay in there forever. Because at the end of the day, he died upon Tawheed. بَعْدَ أَنْ لَقُوا اللَّهَ عَارِفِينَ وَهُمْ فِي مَشِئَتِهِ وَحُكْمِهِ those people, Ahlul Kabair, people of Tawheed, who ended up committing sins, major sins, and maybe never even repented from them, then those individuals are under the command of Allah. They are under the will of Allah. If Allah wishes, He may still just forgive them anyway. People of Tawheed who committed major sins, never even repented from them and died. If Allah wishes, He may still just forgive them and they go to paradise. <coughs> and if Allah wishes, He may punish them. But if they are punished, then their punishment will only be for a while. And then in the end, they will be placed into paradise. And Allah mentions, يَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ Other than shirk, other than shirk, whatever it might be from the major sins, etc. Then Allah forgives for whom He wishes. Allah forgives to whom He wills. So even the people who've committed major sins, never even repented from them and died, maybe by the virtue and the mercy of Allah, He may still just forgive them and they go to paradise directly. However, it is possible by the wisdom of Allah and the justice of Allah, 
that he may punish them first. He, <coughs> he may punish a person who committed major sins. He may punish that person first in the hellfire for those sins. But because at the end of the day the person never committed shirk, he had done other major sins, whatever they may have been, but not shirk. So he may be punished first for those sins that he did, but because he never did the sin of shirk, meaning he died upon tawheed at the end of the day, then in the end he will be removed from the fire and placed into paradise. <coughs> by the mercy of Allah, and by the intercession of those who will intercede on that day. And we've gone through some of those already. How the believers, they will come and say to Allah, such and such, they used to pray with us and fast with us and do hajj with us. And so Allah will say, go and remove those who have iman in their hearts, etc. So there'll be some intercession that happens on that day. And by the mercy of Allah, those people, they'll be removed from the hellfire and then placed into paradise. So that is the basic aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah regarding that topic. A believer, a Muslim, a muwahid, a person of tawheed never committed shirk. But he may have done other sins. <coughs> he may have done major sins. Never ever repented from them. Died upon them. Then that person in the hereafter, what's his ruling? He is under the will of Allah, under the wish of Allah. If Allah wishes by His mercy and virtue to just forgive him anyway, he may be forgiven and go straight to paradise. But if Allah wishes by His wisdom and justice to punish him first, then that person may be punished for those sins and major sins. But in the end, because he was a person of tawheed, never committed shirk, he'll be taken out and put into paradise. That aqidah of Ahl Sunnah is the correct aqidah and it refutes the aqidah of the khawarij and the mu'tazila and their likes who claim that a person, a believer, a Muslim who commits a major sin doesn't repent and dies then he will be in the hellfire forever in the afterlife. That is what some of the groups of innovation claim. A person, a believer, a Muslim who commits a major sin and doesn't repent and ends up dying, never repented from that major sin, he'll be in the hellfire forever in the afterlife. We know that is absolutely wrong and in contradiction to the evidences. Allah says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ Allah does not forgive that you commit shirk. Person commits shirk and dies without repentance, yes, hellfire forever. But, then Allah says, وَيَغْفِرُ مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ Anything lesser than shirk, Allah forgives whomever He wishes. Anything lesser than shirk, Allah forgives whoever he wishes. So a person who was a person of tawheed, he committed other sins, major sins, not shirk though, then all of those sins are forgivable. And Allah forgives them. Even if they are punished first, in the end they'll be removed and put to paradise. <coughs> and this... Uh, ruling, it is established by the evidences from the texts of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the ahadith that mention how the believers will be removed from the hellfire and they'll be placed into the river and come out like pearls and then placed into paradise. There are many narrations that highlight that this aqidah is the correct aqidah, and that the aqidah of the khawarij and the mu'tazila, that a person who commits major sins will be in the hellfire forever, is a false aqidah, an incorrect aqidah, 
Because then what does the ayah mean that Allah forgives anything else besides shirk? They are claiming people who commit major sins will be in the hellfire forever. So that now means that actually Allah doesn't forgive other sins too, like major sins. But we know Allah forgives all those. The only sin Allah does not forgive is shirk. A person dies upon shirk, hellfire, forever. The mushrikun. But anything lesser than that, that was not shirk, even if it was major sins, can be forgiven by the proof of the Qur'an. Where Allah says, anything lesser than shirk, then He forgives whom He wishes. So the major sins can be forgiven. Then, He goes on to say, وَنَرَى الصَّلَاةِ <coughs> خلف كل بر وفاجر من أهل القبلة وعلى من مات منهم that we pray behind the leader, the imam or whomsoever that imam may be from the pious or the non-pious, those who are righteous, those who are transgressors, as long as they are from Ahlul Qibla, from Ahlul Iman, وَعَلَى مَنْ مَاتَ مِنْهُمْ And to pray upon every Muslim, the Muslim who dies upon Islam. This is basically referring to the issue of obedience to the rulers to a degree, and that is that the ruler, whether he is righteous or he is a tyrant, then it is still correct to pray behind them as long as they are people of Iman, and they are not upon bid'ah mukaffira, they are not upon some severe form of innovation that declares them as kuffar, It is mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari that Abdullah ibn Umar Abdullah ibn Umar radiyallahu anhuma kana yusalli khalf al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqafi wa kada Anas ibn Malik that Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhuma and Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu they both used to pray behind Al-Hajjaj. Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqafi. And we know Al-Hajjaj was a tyrant. And he used to kill the companions. Hajjaj was a tyrant. Yet they used to pray behind him. They used to pray in the prayer led by him. They used to pray behind him. <coughs> وَكَانَ الْحَجَّاجِ فَاسِقًا ظَالِمًا He was a transgressor, an oppressor, a tyrant. أَيْضًا أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالْ يُسَلُّونَ لَكُمْ فَإِنْ أَصَابُوا فَلَكُمْ وَلَهُمْ وَإِنْ أَخْضَعُوا فَلَكُمْ وَعَلَيْهِمْ That they pray for you, if they are correct, then that's good for you and them, and if they are incorrect, then it's okay for you, but that will be upon them. The error will be upon them. And similarly, in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar, radiyallahu anhumah, that the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi said, Sallu khalfa man qala la ilaha illallah, wa sallu ala man mata min ahli la ilaha illallah. That you can pray behind the one who says la ilaha illallah, and also pray upon those Muslims, who were upon the testification of La ilaha illallah. This is basically regarding now who you can pray behind and who you cannot. Generally speaking, any Muslim, you can pray behind that Muslim. Generally speaking, that is the rule. If however they are upon extreme bid'ah, some extreme level of bid'ah that is falling into the realms of shirk and boundaries of shirk, falling into the boundaries of extreme innovation, then as the scholars have mentioned, you do not pray behind them. 
a person who is upon the boundaries of shirk in their aqidah, then you don't pray behind them. Boundaries and upon the realms of shirk, uh, in interceding with the dead and all types of things, then you don't pray behind those types of people. Pray behind Ahlul Sunnah. That is the better thing, of course, that you find Ahlul Sunnah and pray with Ahlul Sunnah. This is just the general rule when and where it occurs, that it is allowed to pray behind the Muslims <coughs> as long as they are upon that iman, upon the statement of La ilaha illallah. But as for those who are upon extreme bid'ah and deviation, then it is not suitable to pray behind them as uh, Sheikh bin Baz and others have mentioned. Uh, in particular with regards to the rulers, this applies uh, with the rulers as long as they are Muslim, they are upon Iman, they are upon the testimony of Tawheed, even if they are oppressors, even if they are wrongdoers, then you still keep that unity and pray behind them and do not cause rebellion and revolt and chaos and bloodshed. And that is an example of how some of them, Abdullah ibn Umar, Anas ibn Malik, they used to pray behind Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. So <clears throat> that is one point. The other point is regarding the janazah. <clears throat> Any Muslim that dies then yes, it is permissible to pray the janazah upon them, even if that person was a person of misguidance. However, it has been mentioned that people of authority, people of respect and authority and rank and status, should not go and pray janazah upon those who are deviants and calling to deviancy. But the common folk, it is allowed to pray the janazah upon a person. Generally, why would the people of authority and station and rank and respect not go? Because that will then send out a message to the community that the imam refused to go and pray janazah upon X, Y, and Z. Because that person was known for deviancy and was known for transgression and oppression and wrongfulness. So the imam refuses to go and pray the janazah upon that person. Everybody else can go. You're supposed to go, pray the janazah. But the imam, for example, the respected ones in the community with rank and status, they refuse to go. On purpose, they should refuse to go. Because that will then send out a message to everybody, look, the imam, he refused to pray upon this man. And everybody will think, this man, he used to be that oppressor, he used to do wrong, he used to do this, he used to do that. So look, now the imam is not even coming to pray upon him. That will send out a message to everybody to rectify themselves and not end up in the same state. So the people of authority, the imams, etc., they can withhold from going and praying the janazah upon those types of people. But the general folk, everybody else should go and pray. Pray the janazah upon that Muslim. But the imam should hold back. He shouldn't go. The people in authority and respect to send out a message, we're not going to pray upon these transgressors and upon these wrongdoers upon these people who are uh, deviation or whatever it might be, send out a message to the community, they're not going to go and attend and they don't attend. But the common folk should go, generally you can go pray janazah upon a Muslim who dies upon Islam. <coughs> then, وَلَا نُنْزِلُ أَحَدًا مِّنْهُمْ جَنَّةً وَلَا نَارًا This again we discussed briefly before. Another point of our aqidah that when somebody dies, we cannot label them that they are definitely a person of paradise or that they are definitely in hellfire. We cannot label people that they are people of paradise or they are people of hellfire. The only time we can do that is when. When can we label somebody from being from the people of paradise or hell? When it has been established in the Sunnah, it's been established in the Quran and the Sunnah that somebody by name has been given the glad tidings of paradise, then so be it. The ten who were given the glad tidings of paradise, and then there were more on top of that ten. There were certain companions who the Prophet ﷺ named 
by name specified them and told them they are in paradise. So they've been given the glad tidings of paradise, we can testify they are in paradise. But as for anybody else, generally, we cannot testify by name such and such as in paradise. We don't know that. The only time we can do that is when the Prophet ﷺ in the Qur'an, in the Sunnah, the glad tidings has been given that somebody is in paradise. And so that is a mistake some people fall into from the extreme ones with their extreme excessiveness in their imams. And they begin to say, our imam such and such, certainly from the people of paradise, and I saw him in paradise in my dream, he's in paradise. Imam, great wali of Allah, how could he be anywhere else? You cannot make that kind of claim for anybody. You cannot make a claim for anyone that he is definitely in paradise. There are certain statements of scholars on the general level. They say people like Al-Imam Malik. It is the general acceptance of everybody that inshallah he is a person of paradise. They give examples like that. Great Imams. But everybody generally, it's their perception, he's going to be in paradise. That still doesn't mean you are testifying certainly, absolutely paradise. But that is something which, like a consensus of thought amongst the people, for certain great imams of the past, people of paradise. But that does not mean you can testify that certainly he is a person of paradise or he is a person of paradise. The only time you can certainly testify to somebody being a person of paradise is if it's been testified in the Qur'an and the Sunnah by name. Then, وَلَا نَشْهَدُ عَلَيْهِمْ بِكُفْرِ وَلَا بِشِرْكِ وَلَا بِنِفَاقِ مَا لَمْ يَظْهَرْ مِنْهُمْ شَيْءٍ مِنْ ذَلِكَ وَنَذَرَ سَرَائِرُهُمْ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَنَذَرُ سَرَائِرَهُمْ إِلَى اللَّهِ We do not testify upon a person as or label a person as kafir, testify upon him with kufr or shirk or hypocrisy, if nothing apparent appears of that. There's a person claiming Islam, Muslim, nothing apparent from him that he is upon kufr, nothing apparent from him that he's upon shirk, nothing apparent from him indicating hypocrisy, then we can't label now this person kafir, this person mushrik, this person hypocrite, there is nothing apparent coming from that person, then we leave the ruling to the apparent. He's a Muslim, he's a Muslim. We cannot declare, no, he's a hypocrite really. No, he's a mushrik really. Nothing is apparent from that person, then you leave the affairs upon what is apparent. And as for what secretly they may be upon and what secrets they may hold, that is between them and Allah and their accountability on the Day of Judgment. We simply rule on the person what's apparent. A person is Muslim, is Muslim. We're not going to say, no, he's a hypocrite really, and he's this and he's that. We don't know what's in the hearts of the people. We can only go by what's apparent. So he says, we don't declare anybody to be upon kufr or shirk or hypocrisy if nothing apparent shows of any of that on that person. And we leave their secrets and whatever they are hiding to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Their accountability will be with Allah if they were upon hypocrisy or they were upon something else. <clears throat> and that is generally, uh, as the ayah in the Qur'an mentions, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اجْتَنِبُوا كَثِيرًا مِنَ الظَّنِّ إِنَّ بَعْضَ الظَّنِّ إِثْمٍ That all you who believe, stay away from this suspicion, evil suspicion, that can end up being sin. So you don't have suspicion of people, is a hypocrite, is this, is that. We can only go off what's apparent. A Muslim is a Muslim. If anything else is to be known, then that accountability is with that person in front of Allah. If he was upon hypocrisy, if he was upon something else, that will be his accountability on that day. وَلَا نَرَى الصَّيْفَ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ مِنْ أُمَّةِ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ إِلَّا مَنْ وَجَبَ عَلَيْهِ الصَّيْفِ That we do not uh, permit... The killing of anyone from the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We do not view the permissibility of the sword upon anyone. The killing of anyone from the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. 
except for the one whom it is obligated upon him. If it is obligated upon him, like for the one who fornicates, etc., where the capital punishment is prescribed Islamically for the leader and the ruler to implement, not vigilante, then yes, but otherwise we do not allow or permit the murder or the killing of any Muslim. And that is mentioned in a hadith, لا يحل دم امرئ مسلم يشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وأني رسول الله إلا بإحدى ثلاث That it is not permissible to take the blood of a Muslim who testifies لا إله إلا الله and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah except by one of three things الثيب الزاني and that means Not just somebody who does zina, who... Huh? But which type? Ah, a married one, a thayyib, a thayyib zani, the married one who fornicates, one nafsu bin nafs, killing for a kid, a murderer is killed, given capital punishment, as they say. وَالتَّارِكُ لِدِينِهِ الْمُفَارِقُ لِلْجَمَاعَةِ Apostasy. Then, وَلَا نَرَى الْخُرُوجِ عَلَىٰ And that, that line there is an absolute refutation of the methodology of the khawarij. An absolute refutation of the methodology of the khawarij. The khawarij who make it permissible to kill the Muslims, to take the blood of the Muslims, men, women and children, make it permissible to go do bombings, permissible to go do all of the extremism that they believe in. That one line there, and that one hadith there absolutely refutes all of their false methodology of extremism. Then, وَلَا نَرَى الْخُرُوجَ عَلَىٰ أَئِمَّتِنَا وَوُلَاتْ أُمُورِنَا وَإِنْجَارُوا وَلَا نَدْعُوا عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا نَنْزِعَ يَدًا مِنْ طَاعَتِهِمْ وَنَرَى طَاعَتَهُمْ مِنْ طَاعَةِ اللَّهِ عِزَّ وَجَلْ فَرِيضَةِ مَا لَمْ يَأْمُرُوا بِمَعْصِيَةِ وَنَدْعُوا لَهُمْ بِالصَّلَاحِ وَالْمُعَافَةِ the permissibility of rebelling and revolting against the rulers. And imagine, this is Al-Imam Al-Tahawi, from centuries ago writing this. It's not like he's written this now, they say, you guys and you people, you're just holding up the governments and you're support, supporting Saudi Arabia and this and that. Saudi Arabia didn't even exist when this book was written. Didn't even exist. There was no such thing as Saudi Arabia. There was no such thing as any of these rulers, any of these countries. These books were written centuries ago. So this shows you the aqidah is not something made up now. This correct aqidah is not something just made up now by the scholars, made up by Sheikh Fawzan, made up by Sheikh Bin Baz, made up by Sheikh Al-Bani. This aqidah is not made up by anybody. This is the aqidah which has come down centuries through time. From the Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba, the Salaf, passed on generation after generation. So from centuries ago, look, they are telling you the Imams, we do not view the permissibility of rebelling and revolting and fighting against the rulers and causing chaos and bloodshed. That is not from our methodology. Even if the rulers are, look what he says from centuries ago, even if the rulers are oppressive. Even if they are oppressive, even if they aren't giving you all of your rights, they are oppressive, they are wrongdoers slightly or more. They are wrongdoers, they are oppressive, they are this, they are that. But we do not say rebel against them, get your arms, get your weapons, let's go fight, let's go kill, let's go chaos everywhere in the country, all the security gone. Everything just becomes absolutely chaotic. That is not from the way of Islam. It is not from the methodology of Ahlu Sunnah. And we don't make dua against the rulers. We don't make dua against the rulers. Like many of the people do now. Upon innovation and misguidance, up on the member on khutbah on a Friday, making dua against the rulers. That ruler's done this, and this ruler's done that, and curse of Allah be upon these rulers. And they're talking about Muslim rulers. He's done this, and he's done that. We don't do that. We don't go making dua against the rulers. We make dua for the rulers. 
Because just like the Salaf used to do, they used to make dua for the rulers because they were smart. They used to say, if I make dua for the ruler and Allah answers my dua and makes the ruler a righteous man, then the whole of the country is under a righteous man. It will be good for all of us in the country. All of the millions living in that country, if Allah answers my dua to make the ruler righteous, that's better than making the dua, Allah destroy this man, destroy this, destroy that. And the next one comes, is even worse. So the Salaf, they used to make dua for the rulers, and that is our aqidah. Make dua for the rulers. If you see them as oppressive and they're doing wrong, then ask Allah to rectify them, make them good. Ask Allah to rectify the rulers and to make them good rulers. Why are you going to sit there making dua against them and maybe you have more sins than even they do? Maybe you yourself do more sins than the ruler that you're claiming is doing sins. You may be more sinful than that ruler and you want to make dua against him. Better you make dua for him. If Allah answers your dua and makes him a good ruler, that's good for you and all the other millions in the country. That is better. Or is it better what the people do to rebel and revolt and all the bloodshed and killing and all the chaos going on in the countries now? In the countries now, all that chaos going on, fighting with each other, tribes fighting each other, everybody wants authority. They go rebel against the ruler, men, women, children, killed, blood on the streets everywhere, chaos everywhere, roadside bombs everywhere, you can barely drive down the road and your car is blown up. That is what the sunnah teaches? Absolutely not. The sunnah teaches against all of that chaos, against all of that corruption. So, this is what he says, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi. We don't make dua against them, make dua for them. We don't rebel against them. Rather, we view that obedience to the rulers, that is an action of worship for you in terms of Allah, meaning obedience to the rulers is obedience to Allah. If you're obeying the ruler, then that is obedience to Allah. Allah has commanded you to do that. And that is with one principle, <coughs> and that is the principle, You cannot obey anybody in creation if it means disobeying Allah. So if the rulers command you to do something that is a sin, then you don't have to obey them. If the ruler of your country commands you, commands you to do something that is a sin, then you don't have to do it. You don't obey anybody in creation if it is disobedience to Allah. But other than that, even if he's oppressing you and he's taking taxes off you, taking 50%, 80% of your income from you, robbing you, all the people in poverty, he's living rich. None of those are reasons for you to go and rebel and revolt and cause chaos and bombs and... None of those are reasons. Make dua, Allah makes him righteous. Make dua, Allah rectifies him. And you know, there are evidences to indicate the narration that says, kama That a ruler will be placed upon you in accordance to your state. There is a narration that mentions that. The ruler that Allah decrees upon you upon your land, upon your people, will be in line with what you people are upon. So if you people are wrongdoers yourselves, you're barely praying yourselves five times a day, you're going and doing shirk around the graves, you go and cheat and deceive everybody in the markets and business, that's the kind of people you are, then don't expect somebody like Abu Bakr al-Siddiq to be given as the ruler to you. You'll be given a ruler the same as yourselves. How you are, that's how your ruler is going to be to you. That's a narration. So you shouldn't think the ruler is doing this and the ruler is doing that. Look at the people themselves. What are they doing? People themselves, what are they up to? Cheating and deception in the marketplaces, robbing each other, murder, killing, crime going on. All of those things going on between the people themselves and then it's all the ruler's fault though. How you are behaving, that's the kind of ruler you'll be given. So that's what he mentions in the narration. So don't sit there saying the ruler this, the ruler that. Look at yourself. Look at yourself and your family and your community. Are you a good practicing community upon Islam? Have you abandoned all of the sins? Are you upon the correct aqidah? Are you filling up the mosque for the prayers? If not, nobody can be bothered to get up and go pray fajr, empty mosque. Nobody uh, learns about the religion. Nobody learns aqidah, nothing. 
And then you're saying the ruler oppressive, the ruler this, the ruler that. What have you done for yourself in religion? What have you done for yourself in your Islam? So be careful about that. You'll be given a ruler how you are. You'll be given a ruler in accordance to how you behave yourselves. But that is obviously something people turn a blind eye to. It's never about the population. Nobody ever looks at the population and what the population is up to. It's just the ruler. The ruler is bad. The ruler is this, that one person. Look down to everybody else what they're doing. Crime, this, that, the other. That's what they're up to themselves. And then it's all about the ruler. So, here our aqidah is not to be like the people of deviation who have made this type of ideology that you need to rebel and you need to revolt and you need to go out against the rulers as though you are sahaba yourselves. As though the population of the people are companions, mashallah, to such a great level. And they need to go and uh, uh, get rid of this ruler for the sake of Islam. Are they doing it for the sake of Islam? Are they doing it for the sake of Tawheed? They're doing it for the sake of our wages. He's taking our wages. We're in poverty. He's living in the palace. They're doing it because there's corruption in the land. He's stealing our land. He's stealing our homes. He's doing this. He's doing that. So we need to go and fight against him. Chaos. Look at the world across. Across all of the different lands. You see what's happened when they've rebelled. You see what happens in some countries where they've managed to topple the ruler. Over the last 10 years or so, (coughs) there are examples of some countries where they've toppled the ruler. Any of those countries where they toppled the ruler, is the state of that country now better than what it was before? I don't think you'll find a single example. All of those countries, the famous ones, Iraq, Saddam Hussein, and Libya, and these places, if you see the state of what's going on there now, there is no security in any of those lands. You can't go out of your house now down to the supermarket and buy something and go home. In the olden days, you could do that. You could. The ruler was oppressive. He was doing whatever he was doing to the people. But at least you could get out your house. You could drive down to the supermarket, get what you want, go home, no problem. You could send your kids going down to the corner shop, get go home. You could do that. Now, right now, 2018... You go to the supermarket and you drive back and your car may be blown up by a roadside bomb before you get back home. You want to send your kids outside, they may be shot by a sniper before they get back home. So what have you done? MashaAllah, what have you done with your rebellion and your revolt and your we're going to fight against the rulers and he's oppressive and he's this and he's that. After they toppled him, after they toppled these various rulers, then what happened afterwards? Now all of them fighting each other. We want to be in charge now. The ruler's gone. The oppressive ruler is gone. They've got rid of the oppressive ruler. So now what's next? Now we all need to fight who's the toughest from us, who's going to take charge. So right now what's going on in those countries where they topple the rulers? It's all about who's going to be in power now. In Libya now, all fighting each other. Who's going to take charge? One tribe, we're in charge of this area. Another one, we're in charge of this area now. All about power and authority. So it's chaos and that is not the way of Islam. Islam does not teach us this chaos. When they went to Anas ibn Malik and they asked him, shall we not go and take care of Hajjaj ibn Yusuf? Tyrant he used to be, tyrant. He said, no, don't take your swords out against him. If you do that, what comes afterwards will be worse than your situation right now. So, what's supposed to be done is that you make dua that Allah rectifies the ruler. That Allah makes the ruler good and stops him being oppressive if he's being oppressive. You make dua for him. And imagine if all of his population, the millions living under him were making dua for him, then perhaps that dua would be answered and he would become righteous and that would be good for all of them. Instead of them making dua against the ruler, we're going to rebel, we're going to fight half a million, million refugees all over the country, everywhere. That is chaos and Islam does not teach us that chaos. So here it mentions that we obey the rulers and we don't go out in rebellion and revolt and in those types of chaotic methods. There is a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Man ata'ani faqad ata'allah. The Prophet sallallahu said, whoever obeys me, then he has obeyed Allah. Waman asani faqad asallah. And whoever disobeys me, then he has disobeyed Allah. وَمَنْ يُطِعِ الْأَمِيرِ فَقَدْ أَطَاعَنِي And whoever obeys the ruler, then he has obeyed me. وَمَنْ يَعْصِ الْأَمِيرِ فَقَدْ عَصَانِي And whomsoever disobeys the ruler, then he has disobeyed me. How have you disobeyed the Prophet ﷺ if you disobey the ruler? 
Because the Prophet ﷺ told us not to disobey the rulers. So if you disobey them, you're going against what the Prophet ﷺ told you. So that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever obeys the ruler is obeying me. And whoever disobeys the ruler, then you're disobeying me. <coughs> In another hadith, عَلَى الْمَرْءِ الْمُسْلِمِ السَّمْعَ وَالطَّاعَةِ فِيمَا أَحَبَّ وَكَرِهَ that upon a Muslim is to hear and obey in that which is beloved to him and even in that which he hates. If the ruler gives a ruling in your land, the Muslim ruler gives a ruling, you have to do this, that, the other, curfew, this, that, the other. You don't like that, but you got to do it. Obey the ruler in what you like and what you don't like. Except if he commands some type of sin, then you don't have to obey in that. فَلَا سَمْعَ وَلَا طَاعَةً Then in that case, then you don't have to obey if it is a sin that you are being commanded with. Then after that, وَنَتَّبِعْ السُنَّةِ وَالْجَمَاعَةِ وَنَجْتَنِبَ الشُّذُوذِ وَالْخِلَافِ وَالْفُرْقَةِ That we follow the sunnah and the jama'ah. We follow the sunnah and we follow the jama'ah. And we stay away from ash-shudhuth. Ash-shudhuth, what it means basically is, staying away from the random one-offs, random one-off opinion, some wild opinion, somewhere you're going to go follow that. You don't go looking for random opinions here and there, just for the sake of trying to get something which you like. So you come across a particular issue, you think this issue is a bit difficult. So then you go out, as they say, fatwa shopping. You go out there searching, looking, trying to find some statement from some scholar somewhere. He says, this is a lot, that's it, he says it's allowed. Such and such a scholar said it was okay. Yet every other scholar is giving you evidence says it's not. But you're going to go search, search, search. You found something, that's it, I'm going to go with that. They say, if you do that, <coughs> if you do that, if you go out, fatwa shopping as they say, you go out searching and searching and searching, then every single issue, you're always going to find some scholar who gave a different opinion. You have the normal opinions about things. If you search hard enough, you'll always find some scholar somewhere for whatever reason came to a different conclusion. So then you could say, okay, I'm going to follow him. Even though everything and all the scholars are telling you it's different. So we don't do that, he says. We stay away from these uh, like uh, one-offs and random, random things. We stay away from that type of thing. You stick to the clear evidences, Quran, Sunnah, what you're supposed to do. We don't get involved in fatwa shopping. Somebody tells you it's haram to do this. Next one, haram. Everybody you go to, they're telling you it's haram. But you go to a hundred people, finally the hundredth one, he says, oh yeah, there's some evidence, it's okay. So you think, oh, that's it, I got my fatwa now. Ninety-nine people you went to, ninety-nine imams, they told you, haram, haram, haram. You keep searching, searching, searching. By the time you get to the one hundredth imam somewhere, he says, yeah, I think it's okay. So now you're happy. Alhamdulillah, I got my fatwa, it's okay, I can do it. <laughs> that is not the way of Ahl Sunnah. That is not somebody who is sincere. If you're sincere about your religion, you don't do that type of thing. You don't go out there fatwa shopping. You don't go out there thinking, I'll ask a hundred people, somebody's bound to say it's okay. Because that is true, somebody will. If you do things like that, if you do things like that, then somewhere somebody will eventually give you the answer you're looking for. That's what the scholars say. If you go out there doing that, then somewhere someone will eventually give you the answer you're looking for. You want, some, you want to be able to do something. Is it halal to uh, take interest in the banks? He said, I'm out the extra money, you know, you get a, quite a lot every year, bits of, can I take interest in the banks? Is it really haram? Everybody tells you haram, 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 haram. You keep asking, keep asking, somebody somewhere from some distorted, deviated opinion, yeah, you know, the banks, this, that, the other, it's, you can take some interest for a certain time because in the UK and blah, blah, blah. So now all of a sudden that's it, got my photo, I'm going to keep taking the interest in my bank. That's how it is. And people who do that, then it shows you're not being sincere with your religion. If you're out there fatwa shopping just to get whatever you want to get, then that is not the way. Al-Imam Al-Tahawi said from centuries ago, 
We stay away from those types of random, wild opinions. Yes, that's okay. That's halal. That's halal. We stay away from that. You go with the clear evidences, texts of the Quran and the Sunnah. How do they translate the shuduth thing in the text? Uh, strange opinions. Strange opinions. Stay away from huh? Uh, discord, division, and the No, no, before that. Strange opinions you got in yours? Anomalies. Anomalies. There you go. Anomalies. That's the word. Anomalies and strange opinions. These random one-offs. You stay away from that type of thing. Wal-khilaf, <coughs> wal-furqa, and the disunity and the. Uh, the uh, the separation Rather it is from our principles That you're supposed to be United Allah said Cling on to the rope of Allah All of you united And do not separate Cling on to the rope of Allah All of you united And do not separate So Imam Al-Tahawi says We follow the sunnah We follow the jama'ah we don't follow randoms and anomalies and strange opinions. We stick with the sunnah, stick with the jama'ah. And we don't go off breaking away and taking these anomalous opinions and splitting the jama'ah, splitting the Muslims. And We don't get involved in that. We are united upon the aqidah, united upon Qur'an, united upon sunnah. That brings us to point number 74 in my text. We'll stop on point number 74 for today. We'll start with that one from next time, inshallah ta'ala. Any questions after that? In that case, next week, approximately 7.15, 7.20, inshallah. Go on. What is the evidence when they say it is always tahrif of the nusus. They make some tahrif of the nusus. They have some distortion, some misunderstanding about the texts. So they took the nusus al-wa'id and they went to ghulu with the nusus al-wa'id. وَتَرَكُوا نُسُوسُ الْوَعِيدِ And the Ahl sunnah you don't go to... Uh, Ghulu in one side, balanced. Nusus al-Wa'id or Nusus al-Wa'ad. You have the, the, the threats that whoever does X, Y, and Z will be in the hellfire. Whoever does this sin, that sin will be punished. There are texts like that in the Quran and the Sunnah. You see it. Whoever does X, Y, and Z, they'll be punished with this and they're punished with that. They are threats you're being given. But then at the same time, you have all of the texts about seeking forgiveness. We just did that chapter. About seeking forgiveness, making tawbah, Allah will forgive the merciful. Mu'tazila khawarij, these types of people, they went to an extreme on the side of the threatening texts. So all of those types of narrations talking about punishments, if you do this you'll get this, if you do this you'll get that punishment. They went to an extreme on that and it's as though they neglected and forgot about all of the promises of the mercy of Allah. And therefore they built their ideas upon this side saying, that's it then, if you do a major sin, look at all these texts, look at all these punishments, you're done for. And they forgot about all of the other side. That's why Ahl Sunnah we say, the balance between Al-Khawf wa Raja, the Khawarij Mu'tazila, too far Khawf. The Murji'a too far Raja. They said, لا يضر الإيمان معصيه doesn't matter. As long as you have iman, do whatever sins, you're in jannah. Too far on, on the hope. So some of them too far with fear, some of them too far with hope. Ahlul Sunnah balanced between them. So this is this is what it is. They take the nusus al-wa'id and they go to ghulu with them. Uh, this is another question. Mm. Uh, this happened to me one time. I did uh, one. I pray one uh, uh, brother Pakistan. He said, "I cannot pray with you behind you because you don't have beer." <laughs> so I really strange. He said, "This is Abu Hanifa. We cannot pray behind you." The, Abu Hanifa. He said, "This is Abu Hanifa scholar." No, uh, 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 the Imam. When you look into, like, for example, Kitab uh, al-Salah, in Kitab al-Fiqh, in Kitab al-Salah, then you have a section about al-Imama, ahkam al-Imama. So they do say, they say, for example, the Imam should be somebody who is the most multism. 
that he is, you know, uh, practicing the sunnah. So for example, imagine now you have some people, the imam is missing from the mosque. So you know about the one who has the Qur'an, the one who has the knowledge, the most Qur'an, aqra'ukum and things like that. But they do say, the ulama, not Abu Hanifa, everybody, the scholars, that a person who is practicing the sunnah more accurately has more of a right to lead the prayer than somebody who's not. So for example, if there was somebody uh, who shaves his beard, we know for example that is a sin. Sin to shave the beard, because it is haram. It's not makru, it is haram. Prophet said, So now imagine a person has a beard and one doesn't have a beard. And they both know hafid hafid. For example, so which one has to lead the prayer? The one with the beard. You're not going to say the one without the beard, you lead the prayer. Two hafids, one with a beard, one without a beard, one practicing properly, uh, not, not doing isbal with his clothes, he's practicing. The other one is wearing maybe jeans, uh, maybe a shaved beard, he's, you know, he's not really practicing. So which one has the right to lead the prayer? The one who is the practicing one. That is all the scholars, they say that, all of them. But uh, uh, to say that it is haram to pray behind somebody who has no beard, that, that isn't a, a ruling. Your prayer would be valid. Of course, somebody who shaves the beard, we know that's haram. And they shouldn't lead the prayer. Generally, they shouldn't lead the prayer anyway. It should be the people who have the proper aura. They're covering the aura properly, loose clothes, beard, practicing. They're the types of people who should lead the prayer. But imagine now one day you go to a mosque, for example, the imam isn't there and the person who ends up leading the prayer is somebody who hasn't got a beard. You can pray, your prayer is valid. Your prayer is valid. Nobody's going to say your prayer is invalid because the imam didn't have a beard. Your prayer is valid. But the person who's opposing the sunnah, he's shaving, he's doing those things, that type of person shouldn't lead the prayer then. Hmm. So, 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 what's the stance of when say pray, pray for the uh, ruler? No, if, if he's not a Muslim, then <coughs> it is allowed to pray for a kafir for one thing. That is, oh, well, for a few things, but one main thing you're going to pray for him is hidayah. You can make dua for a kafir that Allah guides him to Islam. That's general. That's not talking about the ruler. That's general. Any kafir. So there's no specific dua like that for the kafir ruler. Just saying generally any kafir, you can make dua for them. Allah guide them to Islam. Uh, that Allah guides them to the to the religion. I mean, if you're living in a country that is minority Muslim anyway, that's a different situation. All of these things are talking about the Muslim rulers in the Muslim lands. They're not really applicable in, in this kind of situation where it's not like that at all. Mm. All right, next week then, inshallah, roughly quarter past seven, seven twenty, inshallah.